what you see behind me is a group of folks that um, today we're just kind of calling it Mission Sunday. Uh, these folks behind me are uh, in missions uh, in different locations, in different places, in different stages in their life. And for us as a church, and me as a pastor, I've talked many times about uh, having missions that you can touch, missions that you can feel. And for us as a body of Christ, so we can have skin in the game. And I want you to be able to see and hear what God's doing all throughout this world. Uh, because we are about the kingdom here. We have church in this location. But our ultimate goal is to be a church in the kingdom. To be about the kingdom. And so God is about doing great things. And we get to see a little bit of that today. At the end of the service, there will be guys at the doors as we take a dollar offering. We do that uh, off and on throughout the year. And this money today will go with these groups, these folks, as they continue to do God's work uh, all over the world. So listen now as they share their story. Michael. In Acts 1.8, it says, And you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Bushland, in Mexico, in Costa Rica, and in the Congo. Amen. If, you're, if you've looked at Acts 1-8 before, you know that we don't just do missions as a church in one spot at a time, but we do missions simultaneously, locally, nationally, and around the world. And so we have opportunity this morning to hear from some folks uh, that are, these are familiar to all of you, but we'll introduce uh, these others, and uh, they're familiar to a few of you, but we'll uh, share this word of testimony. Gillen Waters, you stand. Plural, Gillen Waters. Good job. This is James and Kylie and Caden, and uh, they're going to speak a little bit about what God has do been doing through them, and uh, you'll see some photos from their ministry in just a minute as James leads us out in our church. First question I wanted to ask is, how did you guys as a family get plugged into missions? I've only known you for six years, but I feel like there's more to the story than what I've seen here in our church. How did God plug you in as a family into missions? Um, I was honored to, my mom is a servant and my gift is service. And a lot of you don't know that um, I can follow the Gillenwater line clear back to the early 1700s and we were all uh, generations of Methodist ministers. Cool. So I guess in, it's in my DNA. Yeah, awesome, awesome. Did you guys have a choice or was it in your blood too? I think it was in our blood, too. Yeah. <laughs> Kylie, you're the oldest. Tell me about how you've grown into this missions culture that's literally in your family tree, but obviously in the leadership of your dad and your home. How have you grown into that personally? Well, we went on our first mission trip whenever I was a freshman in high school. And that year was kind of like a transition year for me. It was whenever God transformed me from, like, the shy person that I was in middle school to who I am now. And so God used missions and just um, giving me the opportunity to speak to people and just to see other people that I could impact, like he used that to grow me into who I am. Yeah, awesome. How about you, buddy? This is Caden. Tell, tell me about, did dad give you a choice? And if not, how's that worked out anyway for you? Well, I was kind of weirded out at first, and then we went, and it was super fun, and I enjoyed it a lot. Yeah, are you able to engage? You're just a young man. You're in the eighth grade. You've been, I guess you went early on, too, so what grade would that have been for you? Fifth grade. So do you feel like you're a part of it, even though you're a young man, as much as what God's doing in your dad? Yeah. yeah. It's just hard to speak to them because they're fluent and I'm not. I just yeah. say, hola. 
Hola, okay, that works. That works. And, and did you see the love in his eyes? So that gets through, right? Okay, so tell us specifically, we feel this mission culture that's in the Gillen Waters family. Is that, is that a true uh, perspective? Tell me what God's been doing with you guys over the last few years across the border around Christmas season. Um, at Christmas, every year we go down the day after Christmas to uh, a place called the Way of the Cross in Harlingen, Texas, and we go down into Mattermorris and put on what they call the big feed. And if you ever want to know what it's like to, uh, when Jesus fed the 5,000, uh, come with us and we will show you what it's like to they feed the, the 5,000. chicken on the screen. Um, that is us cooking 4,500 pounds of chicken uh, for 10,000 people. Um, it's a lot of fun, but it's a lot of work. We, we impact a lot of people through that. Um, you guys heard last year of all the saviors, uh, the professions of faith that they had, and they go back to their homes and they talk to their families, and all the plug-ins at church were even more than the professions of faith. Yeah, awesome. Awesome. And you guys are, you guys are attacking with food what those local missionaries do all year round, the games and the food and the connection that you go to. Th that supports what the missionaries are doing on the Texas side of the border and across the border, 365 days a year, right? Tell us about that a little bit. We have 140 churches that showed up for this event. Those are local churches, so we interact with different parts of Matamoros every couple of years, and we are able to take those people that don't go to church, if they want to profess their faith and they want to get plugged in, we can take them directly to a church that is closest to them yeah. and plug them right in, which is awesome. And tell us about some of the things you guys give away down there that are, that are like lifelong, life-changing gifts. We, we, you know, it's, it's hygiene, but it's used bicycle that we would throw away. Tell us about some of that stuff. Uh, we collect bicycles. Baylor has do graciously donated all their bicycles. They cut locks at the end of the year, and they give them to us. This year, they did not do that, so we collected bicycles from you guys. These are some of the bicycles. Everybody that comes in gets a ticket. And the tickets are drawn every hour. They blow the shofar, which is a horn. They stop what they're doing. They give professions of faith. They talk about uh, Christ through the Evangy Cube, so even we can break down those language barriers. And um, it, it gives everybody a chance to not only have fun and experience life together, but it, it, it does. It crosses barriers of race and religion and language it's amazing how God works. Yeah, awesome. Take us through these photos here, James. Here you go. Um, so this is the church at Bushland. This is what we did this year. This is our sign that we put up. Every church has a booth. They call it the Festival of Booths. And every booth, if you go to the next slide, is games. Uh, a concrete block turned on its end, and they throw a ball into it. These guys are ingenious. They can do anything with nothing, and this is part of it basketballs. Uh, they give away prizes for every hoop you get in or every ball you get in. Uh, and if you don't, if you're an adult, you get food. If you're a kid, you get prizes. Next slide. Uh, the bicycles again. That's the ones we give away. Uh, Kylie and her friend Ashley Vu. This is the vans that we drive around in Mexico. They're all Jesus saves plastered all over them. Next slide will be uh, some of the clowns that we take with us. If you want to reach kids and adults alike, I love clowns. These are great clowns. They're not the scary ones you see on the Internet. Yeah. 
and the next slide, um, we do, it's, it's work. It's, it's a lot of fun, but it's a lot of work. This is a local house that needed painting. We painted this house. Uh, there was a lot of youth groups down at the time. They, they pitched in and helped. It was a great time. The next slide will be um, you, anybody can plug in. Anybody. I don't care how old you are or how young you are. This is a bunch of little girls painting fingernails and reaching girls their age. I mean, anybody can pitch in. It, it just takes a little creative activity. These are some of the houses that we go to. Uh, this particular house, if you go to the next slide, we, we met a boy there who was unable to walk. Uh, our hearts really poured out into him. They have, the only electricity they have is a car battery. They hook a 12-volt battery up to a light, and that's how they have electricity. Next slide. This is us in the schools in Nicaragua. Uh, we're doing a duck-duck-goose game. We reach kids, I don't care, young age, old age, whatever. We'll, we'll talk to anybody and everybody. Next slide. This is some of the houses that we go to as well. This is in, uh, this is in Saltillo, Mexico, where they make the Saltillo tile. Uh, and you can see they kind of make their own houses. Next slide. This is the dump grounds in Nicaragua. That is also somebody's house. The thing that really got me about Nicaragua is that you get out on the dump grounds where these people actually live. They all have a smile on their face. But the first thing you notice when you step out of the van is the thousands upon hundreds of thousands upon millions of, hydro, uh, of um, needles, syringes that are just on the ground. These people live here. This is their house. This is somebody's house. I kid you not. When Jesus says, I bring a cool drink of water, these guys thought we were Jesus bringing water. Next slide. Uh, this is in um, Saltillo, Mexico also. This is CRF is, has reached out and has a base there. This is their school where they come after school. They, they get to brush their teeth. They get to wash their hands. Um, they get backpacks. They get everyday supplies. Next slide. And this is Milton Jones and some of his guys from Saltillo, Mexico. Um, if you ever get a chance to hook up with CRF or the Way of the Cross or us, We'd love to have you, but CRF is a great presence here with Oliver's. They, they support him in all of his worldwide missions, and I think that's it. Awesome, awesome. Give him a hand, what God's doing in their life and ministry. This is Michael and Amy Parsons. So uh, 28 years ago, 26 years ago, somewhere around there, his father and I, Jeff Parsons, served in youth ministry together at Trinity Baptist Church. And then later I was a pastor at River Road Baptist and, and uh, Jeff was a youth pastor there and saw Michael grow up in missions and his dad is the executive director at Mission Amarillo so he's been a part of it. We want to hear about God's calling on his life and, and Amy and then that together as a couple and then we'll move through where God's uh, moving them down the road. So this is Michael and Amy Parsons. Glad you guys are with us today. Tell, tell me... So you guys are going to feel a theme of like family culture missions all the way through today. It's an amazing assembly that God put together of almost birthed into their hearts and into their families. So keep that theme going through here and listen to the specifics here. So before you met Amy, what was God doing in your heart that sort of 
moved you towards missions or called you towards missions? Well, I've, I mean, I've always believed, and uh, you see in Scripture, you know, Paul was a tent maker and things like that as he did his ministry. And so I've always been believed in being a missionary where you work. But uh, I guess when I was about 19, uh, I've heard it characterized, I like to use the term, uh, God gave me a, a holy discontent. Like that wasn't, like there's more than that. God wanted me to do something specific. So, uh, and, and, you know, I watched my dad in ministry and stuff, and, and that, was, that was where God was directing me, and that's where the calling was leading. Yeah, good. And so that holy discontent, has it always been towards mission? What specifically, I know what you do right now, but what specifically is God doing before we get to the context of the mission field? Well, he's always, uh, I, I heard a sermon once, a guy, uh, he said that, uh, what's your sacred concern? Uh, he believed that all Christians, that, that God has geared them towards something special that he's been preparing them for. And mine's always been helping troubled teens and, and especially uh there's a cycle of poverty that, that kids, once they're in that, they can't get out unless they have help. It's almost impossible. Yeah. And if you don't step in and, and you don't be that, that, uh, that constant in their life and invest in them and, and disciple them and uh, give them job training, you know, teach them English, anything, anything to give them an edge, they're, they're stuck in that cycle of poverty yeah. and just yeah. continues. Uh, How long have you been at the prison now where you attack this <laughs> in your, this current Jerusalem God's got you? Well, uh, everywhere I've gone, God's been preparing me for this. I didn't, I didn't take school serious when I was younger, and so God's been preparing me this through other means. Uh, and uh, like he sent me to Boys Ranch. I worked there with a lot of troubled teens. Uh, I went from there to working in the jail now in Potter County uh, with Weston Richburg. I saw him come, or with Richburg. He's, there he is. I work with him. And, uh, but, uh, he, uh, uh, but every time a kid comes in there, like 18, 17, I always like to pull them aside and give them a good 30-minute talk. Yeah, good 30-minute good talk before they yeah. get plugged in. All right. We'll keep going in just a second. So, Amy, as Michael comes into the picture, however he got there, I'm not sure. He outpunted his coverage, but that's all right. <laughs> what was God doing in your mission's heart? Um, I have always had a heart for missions since I was little bitty. Um, so, God, that has been a constant in my life always. Um, it directed my choice. I got an education degree in college uh, simply because it was a high need in the mission field. Um, so it's just always been there. Yeah, and so so as this holy discontent, I love that phrase and that sacred concern, as, as, as Michael articulates that in your relationship as you guys come together, were you surprised that God put you with a missions-hearted man? Was that, how'd that feel? Um, I wasn't surprised at all. <laughs> yeah, yeah. God's guiding hand before you even knew each other and now to, now to this point. So tell us the application of God calling you guys to Costa Rica. How did that come about? What was the divine guidance there? Tell us how you got to the point we are today and then we'll take it from there. Well, we, you know, some people feel a call towards a specific country or something of that nature. They have a heart for certain people. Ours was always, you know, troubled teens. And so, uh, we found them, and, and we did the application process, and we had... Tell us to them. Oh, I'm sorry, Christ for the City International. You might want to know that. Uh, so we found Christ for the City International, and they're, they're all over the world in different countries. And uh, based on our application resume, they, they sent back basically missionaries on the ground uh, where they thought we would fit into the ministry. And uh, Terrasas, Costa Rica is a slum community outside of San Jose, and... Uh, Everything that they articulate in there that they would need us in is everything God has ever called us to since awesome. I was 19 and she was a little girl. Yeah, and awesome. so they just presented it to us. And I was like, this, 
that's exactly what we want yeah. to do. Yeah. It's right here, you know. Yeah. No, no sales pitch from them to no. you. Just, yeah, no. just God did this way in advance. Yes, and you went to the school of hard knocks instead of a formal education like your yeah, wife. Exactly. Christ, Christ for the, Christ for the, Christ for the city wasn't concerned about that. No, they weren't at all. It's, you know, one thing he told me. I, I told him, you know, I made a lot of mistakes when I was younger, and I said I don't, I don't have a degree. So I'd love to have a theology degree, but because of my mistakes, was not able to have that. And uh, he told me, he's like, that's okay. The disciples were unschooled, ordinary men, and people took notice because of that. People took notice they had been with Jesus. That's awesome. Okay, so you're going to Costa Rica. You guys are early in the process. You still need about $4,000 in monthly support. Tell us briefly why you're not allowed to take a secular job in Costa Rica, and so your support has to be 100%. Tell us about that. Yeah, I mean, we I'd prefer to work down there and, and build relationships through the through working and owning a business even and employ these kids. But uh, Costa Rica's law, they don't you can't work in Costa Rica if you're a foreigner unless you become a citizen or, or you gain residency. It's just kind of their way of protecting their workforce because they have a lot of people that struggle with that. Okay. So the poor has support has to be greater because of that. But at the same time, the gift is a benefit. You get to be full time. With your work week and your life and your family plugged into that. Awesome. Take us through these photos here. All right, this is a blue screen. No, I'm kidding. Uh, these, are, uh, these are some of the kids I had the privilege of working with. Uh, that kid in the middle there, actually, with a hat on, uh, his name is Hostin Porras. I'm actually friends with him on Facebook. It's one of the huge privileges of technology today. Uh, he messaged me before I came because I put on Facebook, hey, you know, pray for me going to the Church of Bushland. And he messaged me before I came and, you know, he's in broken English. Hey, my great friend, I'm looking forward to this. I hope you come. So but he's a wonderful kid. But this is all, basically, these are kids. This is a photo, an example of kids that love Jesus very much, that, that come from rough background. And, and they're an example of, of who would be discipling to grow in their faith, to be leaders in the community. Uh, this is the interior of the uh, Christ for the City building. Uh, it's the first Bible school of Tarasas, is what they call it. Uh, Tarasas, Costa Rica is about 20,000 people. Half the community is under the age of 20. Uh, so it's a real impressionable time in Tarasas. Uh, but uh, what's amazing about this photo, I mean, these are all kids. They do a Bible school there for 12 and under. Um, it's, I didn't get the other side here, but the other side of the room, you have kids 13 and older that are there. And they told them, they said, now, we don't have anything for you yet, and that's where Amy and I come in. But he said, you know, but these kids still show up because they want a place to belong, and they want a place to feel at home and to feel safe and to feel like someone cares for them and loves them. Uh, so this is just kind of an example of what goes on there. And we want to, we'd also do some, uh, like Amy will be doing English as a second language in this building. Uh, I'll be doing a lot of mentorship program, trying to connect the people in the church with the kids uh, in the community. Uh, this is an example of something I love about Christ for the City. He said, you know, we, we get involved in the heart of the community. And it's not just discipleship. Discipleship, of course, and falling in love with Jesus is the most important. But next to that, they do job training. They teach them English. Uh, the benefit of the Costa Rican culture and the tourism industry is that learning English is like getting a master's degree. So if you can teach them English, they can get a job anywhere, uh, which is really amazing. But we went down here about a mile and to the right and then Christ for the City has a building there. Uh, before we went down there, actually, he told me, he said, take a picture now, because once we go down here, it's no man's land, and you don't want your camera out. Wow. And, uh, and so we went down here, and we kind of pretended like we knew what we were doing, where we were going. But uh, uh, anyway, this is just kind of an example of how they live. 
And uh, these are some of the homes. In Tarasas, you have, a, you have two groups, he told me, the, this guy Gary, that'd basically be our boss down there. He said, you have two groups of people in Tarasas. You have those that eat once a day well, and those that eat once a day whatever they can find. And uh, this is just an example of the extreme poverty there. That, that gutter in front of the home is raw sewage when, it, when it's running. Uh, they don't have, they, they protect the tourism industry, and so the slums suffer even worse because of that, because they don't, they don't put anything into that, because they don't get any money from that. So it's just kind of an example of how some of them are living there. Uh, these kids, uh, they run a car wash. This is an example of kids that need guidance and need leadership. Uh, you can tell from some of the clothing, the smoke weed, and uh, this kid over here on, on that side, uh, we have tattoos in common. Uh, I was able to share Christ with him through my tattoos. I, I have my kids' artwork and then stuff that talks about Jesus, and I told him, you know, there's two things you can tell from my tattoos. I love Jesus, and I love my kids, and so me and him were able to talk about Christ through that, uh, but they're all under the age of 16. They run this car wash, and... Uh, Oh, uh, the majority of kids in Tarasas drop out of school in fifth grade. Uh, it's 20,000 people, about 10,000 kids roughly, and they have one high school, and it's got 60 kids enrolled. Uh, so poverty, and, and it's due to the extreme poverty. When you grow up in a, in a single-parent household and your parents working their butt off trying to provide for you or breaking the law trying to provide for you, uh, you know, this is all you have. You just grow up on the street and grow up however you want. These particular kids here are actually homeless, and they belong to a gang. Uh, church actually had a wonderful idea. They said, Let, let's prepare a car wash and let's employ these kids and teach them work ethic. And it's a great idea, but it's very loosely supervised. So these kids, they wash cars, they get their money, they buy drugs. They wash cars, they get their money, and they buy more drugs. And so what I would be doing there is we would oversee this, and I would just instill some, some guidelines for them, some rules. I'd be like, okay, you want to work here? Great idea, but you have to do discipleship with me once a week. And then you got to meet with me once a week just to hang out and play soccer. And then you have to, you know, you have to stay in contact with me and let me know how you're doing. And, and those, those would be some of the rules I would lay out to hopefully help model something for them. I'm sorry. Next slide. Uh, this is when I told you we went down a mile to the left, uh, this, or to the right. This is where we came out here in that red building there. I tried to sneak a photo even though he told me not to. And because I tried to sneak a photo, that kid in the black shirt here in the middle he tried to steal my camera, and I had to chase him down and get it back. <laughs> but uh, he's, but he, I mean, he's a sweet kid. I mean, that little kid there is a sweet, and that's, that's Hostin Porras right there that was in Tarasas. Um, but uh, this building here, one of the things I love about Christ for the City is they get involved in the heart of the community. They don't stay on the outskirts or right on the edge uh, where it's safe. They get down and dirty in the middle. And this building's in the middle of no man's land. Chrysler City built it. They do job training here. They do discipleship programs, and they, they have a pastor that lives across the street from this that knows the community that, that works there as well. And, that, and this is the outside, the Primera Escuela. It's just first Bible school Tarasas, it says. This is where we would be working, uh, doing the ESL mentorship programs. Uh, we want to do parenting programs to help them with parenting. Coming from extreme poverty, those are a huge, those are the huge issues in there. Uh, so just teaching people, run them through a program. A friend of mine uh, does called, um, I forgot what it's called. I'll tell you later if you come and talk to me because I'll remember then. But uh, he, he does a deal just dealing with parenting, or the Father's Cry is what it's called where you work with people in poverty and, and you go through, you know, you look at the Bible and what God is as a father to us and how to be that father to your kids and how to deal with the loss of a father from growing up without one. And so that's just, I think it's a little bit of everything we'll be doing there. Awesome, buddy. Great. 
Thank you. You feel you feel the you feel the the theme of a heart of missions and growing up in it. This is this is Ryan and Aubrey Martin. You guys stand with me. Um, Aubrey is uh, a, grew up the daughter of a rock star. She's Dave Oliver's uh, daughter, and so uh, we won't spend a lot of time talking about that today. But uh, let's talk about how God moved. Similar questions here. You guys know how did God move in your heart? as a young man, as a young lady, before you came together in this current calling? Uh, growing up, I had the opportunity to travel a good bit. My um, parents adopted from China, and we went to China when I was in high school and went on a church trip to Belize as well. And uh, of the many things that Lord did in my heart on those trips, one of those was just awareness of the global church and um, that there are a lot of people that love Jesus that are a lot different from me and um, that um, we can gain from each other and we can learn from each other and that um, the Spirit is um, at work all over the world. And um, I didn't even know what that would look like. I wanted to go to seminary. I didn't know um, what I'd be doing, but I wanted to do something cross-culturally. Okay, okay. And, uh, and Aubrey, specifically you, before Ryan was in the picture, yeah. how, how did God move and create a mission heart in you? Um, I think similar to Amy, I just grew up always being so drawn to um, people from other cultures who would come speak at our church or even at school, um, I kind of thought that that was like the coolest job that you could possibly have. And it wasn't until later that I think I realized that that was really something that God had laid on my heart, that uh -huh. not necessarily everyone um, wants to do that, um, just like not everyone wants to be a banker or a doctor or a teacher. Um, and so I kind of took steps. I um, learned Spanish thinking that maybe South America would be where I'd end up. And um, also majored in education, um, knowing that that would probably be able to land me a job in any um, country um, doing ministry. Um, and then when we met and started dating, I was very excited to learn that he kind of had the same um, vision, and we kind of went from there. Yeah. And so, so, again, like I heard over there, as you guys, uh, the relationship grew and developed, this, this core mission value in your, in your life uh, as a couple it was just there, right, as you finished your education and, and now to this point. Exactly, yeah. yeah. So um, Ryan wanted to do something in the realm of theological education. Mm -hmm. So when we graduated college, he went to seminary in Birmingham, um, which is where we've been for the last five years. But um, we, again, like them, didn't really know where in the world we wanted to go. Um, we just knew that um, Ryan wanted to train pastors overseas, and I wanted to teach at an elementary school. Um, and so we found an organization that partners with local ministries that are already running by nationals um, and sends people when they need extra help. And um, the DRC, the Democratic Republic of the Congo, was one of the first places that they kind of opened our eyes to. We knew nothing about the country. And so after learning Spanish, now you've learned French. And you're going to learn Swahili as well. So tell us then, in that transla translation, obviously they have the gift of languages. Uh, at least they hope they do. But in that translation, how did the Congo come into that specifically? It was one of the many places. When, when we told the United World Mission, our sending organization, what um, we each felt um, led to do, they sent us a long list of, of options. They uh, much to our surprise, we wondered if they'd say, both of those things in the same place? I don't know. But yeah. uh, they, they sent us a long list, and we just started having email and Skype conversations and uh, kind of talked with the Congo in an effort to just check it off the list. And um, we got off the, the call with them and looked at each other and said, 
maybe we're going to Africa. Yeah. Um, so God got it, God guided that process as well. That's that's just amazing to me that whatever it is with James and his kids and the family with Michael and Amy early in the process and you guys sort of towards the end of the process that God was in control of that all all the way through. That's that's just amazing the sovereignty of God. So in his sovereignty, and he brought you to this organization, you get to use your skill set and your education. Specifically, what is that going to look like when you land in the Congo once we pray for your visas to come through by May the 8th? Feel free to drop to your knees right now if you would like to. What's that going to look like when you guys both get there based on what they're calling, their their confirmation of your calling as well as your education. Sure. I'll be teaching on the theology faculty at the um, Université Christian Bilong du Congo. French is good. Your French is good, brother. Um, it's, a, it's a university. It's about 10 years old. So it's still growing. It's got about um, 500 students, about 60 in the theology department, but I'll be teaching theology and biblical studies to future pastors and counselors. Yeah, and those are, are, are most of those are all of those indigenous folks that are going to plug right back in. Are some of them already doing ministry and you're just increasing their Yes, um, most of them will be typical undergrad age, um, but um, a handful of them will have already been pastors and are coming back to study. But most of them come from the villages outside of the city where the war is the worst and um, are coming to study and, and, and pray and be discipled and then go back out to plant churches and, and awesome. to lead their congregations. Yeah, awesome. What are you going to do there, Aubrey, specifically in, in your gifting? So the same organization that started the university has also started a primary school. Um, for students, it's a Christian school. It's also bilingual, so I'll be the only native English speaker on staff. And um, it's just meant to kind of um, be a really student-centered, um, holistic model of education. Um, so I will be teaching fourth grade. Awesome. That's in your blood, too, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> Carol's a teacher. All right, take us through these photos here. Here you go. So this is downtown Benny, Congo. It's on the eastern side of the country, right across the border from Uganda. Um, when the Rwandan genocide happened, um, kind of from that came all these militia groups that now don't have anywhere to go, and so they've decided to make their home in the eastern part of the Congo, um, which has caused just a lot of devastation and um, it's kind of a hard, a hard place to really grow anything like a university, um, which is why it's so amazing that Congo Initiative is able to do what they're doing um, and why we're so excited to get to be a part of it. But um, this is downtown. There's um, about 300,000 people who live in the city, which is very expansive. Um, but this is the only paved road, and so this is where most of the little shops, the big marketplace where we'll go get our food, um, Western Union, things like that. And you can go to the next one. This is what um, the outskirts of town look like. It's beautiful. It's right on the equator, um, but it's high enough elevation that the weather is perfect. It's about 75 year-round with alternating wet and dry seasons. Um, the Ruanzori Mountains are seen from the city, um, which are beautiful, and it's just very... Tropical, very lush, very green. We love it. Go to the next one. So this is um, the school where I'll be teaching. Um, most of these students are younger. Um, I will have 
the oldest class at the school, so they will have started in kindergarten and then the school has kind of grown alongside them. Um, and you see, um, well, there's about four or five Congolese staff um, and then um, one other American that I will be working alongside. And you can go to the next one. Yes, here's the campus of the university. It's gorgeous. Um, up until this year, that right there you can see was their only like classroom building. So imagine 600 um, students using just classrooms in that building. Um, if you go to the next slide, there when we were there last Christmas, um, they were in the process of, of completing this um, this building, like a new kind of community university center, um, which is where things like, I mean, I'll, my office will be there, all the classrooms will be there, and just um, allow the university to grow and expand. It, it really is amazing in, in the vacuum of... Um, of good things happening, an organization like Congo Initiative uh, can get a lot done in a short amount of time. And that's really encouraging us just as two of six or seven Americans in a already on the ground running Congolese organization. There's a lot of safety in that for us, knowing that um, there's roles that we fit nice and in, nicely into and that we're just gonna be able to serve the local church and, and be a, um, a blessing to them. Let's go to the next slide. Yes, this is Papa Daniel. Um, I, I guess the, like the first employee, the first worker of Congo Initiative um, to where you know, I'll be at the university in a posh classroom. Um, he'll, he runs out to the little villages and does um, pastoral training, VBS type stuff. And, uh, um, and just a reminder to us that while you know, we'll be in the middle of, of, of a city with a semblance of safety, um, the way it was told to me, everybody's lost somebody um, in the war. And um, uh, there are people that are going out into that um, for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of the kingdom. And it's going to be really encouraging for us to work alongside them to, to see what the Spirit is doing in a, um, in a dark and crazy place. Praise the Lord. Thank you. Great testimony. Thank you. So... so we're going to move into a time of invitation just a minute. I'll pray. But what I wanted you to, to begin to pray about from out there, you see some real immediate needs um, for their visas. They literally are ready. They're through the process except Swahili, the, the Martins, and they're ready to attack the mission field in, in the Congo to pray for their visas. They need about $2,000 in support to get everything there, their monthly is rolling pretty well. You've heard from Michael and Amy Parsons. They're earlier in the process. They need about $4,000 in monthly committed support for the long term uh, to, to get them to the mission field. And then, of course, what James is doing, you hear about that a lot here in our church as he leads out in our, in our missions uh, uh, front for the church at Bushland and, and for everything from hygiene items and used bicycles. And, and sometimes, quite frankly, for people just to get off the couch of complacency and go, right, James? Just to get in the van and go and make it happen. And so as we move into a time of invitation, we'll have our some of our prayer altar ministry couples here, but these missions families are going to be down front as well, and they're going to be down front to pray over you. If God's moved in your heart with the holy discontent, if he's moved in your heart that you know he's called you to missions and you've said no for a year or 10 years, or a lady one time said, Pastor, God called me to missions whenever I was 16, and for 50 years I've said, no, I'm ready to go. 
It's not too late. You step out and have these ministry families pray over you, and then uh, we'll have opportunity afterwards to connect with them as well as to give to what God is doing. And um, let's pray together as we move into this time of invitation. Father, we thank you for how you've stirred our hearts for missions across the border in South America and across the oceans into the Congo. Father, you, you're moving in our hearts right now that we can, meet, we can meet these needs in this local body. You're moving in our hearts right now, Father, that we have, many of us, that you've put the same kind of family culture, the same kind of heart of missions in our souls, and we've just, we've covered it up with busyness, or we've ignored you, God, or maybe like the lady years ago, we said no for years, and Father, we know that there are needs around the country, whether we've gone to the school of hard knocks or a formal education or somewhere in between, whether we have medical degrees or education degrees that can apply immediately in hundreds of countries around the world, whatever our place in life, God, you can use us to make a difference in places where a bottle of clean water changes their lives that day, God. Where a meal at Christmas is the best meal they'll have all year. Where they once a day scrounging or once a day well. Father, there are opportunities for us to go and be the hands and feet of Christ around the world. And so thank you for the Gillen Waters for the Parsons and for the Martins, reminding us of Jesus, what you did on the cross and what you continue to do in the lives of boys and girls and men and women around the world. Help us to be a part of it as you move in this body today during this time of invitation. Father, if there's somebody here that's been testing the waters at the church at Bushland, waiting to see if we're missions-minded church, I, I know that they can see that we are today, so help them to step out and join with us today. Father, if there's somebody here that's not sure what it means to be stirred or have a, a sacred concern, God, move in their hearts that they might know you as Savior. Father, if there's somebody that needs to be prayed over for something going on in their lives that we don't even know about, we haven't addressed today, may they step out for prayer. And God, for that individual, for that couple, for that young adult, for that retired adult that may need to be prayed over by these missionaries, who know what it means to have a heart for missions, and they've said, yes, Lord, may they step out as well. We love you and thank you and praise you, Father. Move in this time of invitation now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.